0: The following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Today's sermon is a continuation of a sermon series entitled, Living in the Vine, based upon Jesus' teaching where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me bear much fruit. That image calls us to be spiritually connected to Christ and suggests that the result of such connection will be that we bear much fruit. That is, that we make a significant positive impact on the world around us. Today, we will pursue this theme further to consider who it is that makes a real difference in this world for good. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Who are the heroes or the heroines of the Bible? Who are the people who act with courage, who do the right thing, even when it puts themselves at risk, who take decisive action in the face of trouble and threat, and who finally make a real positive difference on earth? By and large, the heroes of the Bible are little people on the world stage, obscure people, very much unsung heroes. A prime example of this can be found in the stories we heard this morning from the book of Exodus, where the heroic figures are so obscure that most people today, even people who know the basic biblical story, have never even heard of them. The first heroes or heroines that we encounter are Shifra and Pua, two Hebrew women who served as midwives. You can't get much more more obscure and ordinary than these two. And yet they found themselves right in the thick of things in ancient Egypt. Shifra and Pua were among the enslaved Hebrew people living at a time when the Pharaoh began to worry that the Hebrew people were becoming too numerous. Sometimes there are people today who have similar feelings about foreigners in the society who seem to be becoming too many. Pharaoh's answer to his fears was brutal. He determined to Kill the Hebrew children, especially the males, because he feared that too many Hebrew young men could eventually become a revolutionary force. When a regime decides to commit genocide, it generally tries to conceal its true intentions in order to avoid arousing resistance among those targeted. And thus, uh, in Nazi Germany, Jews were transported to labor camps. The Pharaoh decided that the way to eliminate male Hebrew infants would be to secretly press midwives into service. He had Shifra and Pua brought before him and ordered them that whenever a male Hebrew baby was being born, they were to deftly extinguish the child's life during birth. Shifra and Pua thus found themselves in a terrible position. If they defied the Pharaoh's command, they would surely pay with their own lives. What would they do? Our passage says that the midwives feared God. That is, they respected and revered God far more than the Pharaoh. Pharaoh may have been the ruler of Egypt, but God, they knew, was the ruler of the universe. In their commitment to God, they did the right thing. They allowed all the Hebrew babies to live. The Pharaoh had Shifra and Pua brought before him and demanded to know why the male Hebrew babies were not dying. Shifra and Pua cleverly played off of the Pharaoh's own prejudice. They knew that he imagined that Hebrew people were less refined human beings. They were coarser than the Egyptians. So they said, "Oh, great Pharaoh, these Hebrew women you know are different. They are so rugged, they just spit those babies out before we can get there. By the time we arrive, the, mo- the babies are already in their mother's arms. The Pharaoh released Shifra and Puah, and the Bible goes on to say that God blessed them for their faithfulness. It has been observed that Shifra and Pua are the first recorded cases of civil disobedience, people refusing to carry out an unjust government command. It is an inspiring story of two small, ordinary people who, in the face of great trouble, pressure, and threat, held to their devotion to God and did the right thing. Yet evil often persists. The pharaoh did not give up. Since his plan A did not work out, he turned to plan B, a more brazen and straightforward approach. He publicly commanded that all male Hebrew infants were to be thrown into the Nile, and he had the military power to back that command up. It is at this point in the story that we meet the next heroine, a woman whose name did not even appear in the passage that we heard, but whose name is given to us later in the book of Exodus and also the book of Numbers. Her name was Jochebed. She would be the mother of Moses. Like Shifra and Puah, she chose to resist the the, the, the Pharaoh's command, and she did so in a very clever fashion. She placed her infant son in a basket and set him upon the Nile. Notice how she, in fact, fulfilled the pharaoh's command to throw her son into the Nile. But she was also very intentional about where exactly she placed her child. She set him in some reeds growing close to the shore. These reeds are traditionally identified as bulrushes, similar to cattails. The basket would have held fast among them. The location was near the pharaoh's house and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at that spot along the river. This would not have been the Pharaoh's main palace. Rather, it would have been one of the many lodges or vacation homes that the Pharaoh had in numerous places around Egypt. The Pharaoh in question was almost certainly Ramses II, also known as Ramses the Great. Ramses had more than 60 daughters, born to various wives in his harem. They spent their time at various locations around Egypt, and it was one of those daughters who came down to the Nile to bathe near the reeds. Jochebed at this juncture was counting on several things. She was counting on her son being found and being found by the right person. She was counting on a belief that not all Egyptians are evil, that there is good in the hearts of some. She was counting on the Spirit of God to be at work to somehow make everything come together in the right fashion. And she was counting on decisive action from a little girl, her own daughter, Miriam, who was quietly observing her little brother from a distance. Miriam would be another heroine in the story. Pharaoh's daughter discovered the baby in the basket. She would prove to be precisely the right person, as Jacobet had hoped. She had a tender heart. As she picked up the baby, she recognized that it was one of the Hebrew children, one of the ones that her father had commanded be thrown into the Nile. She surely perceived the wonderful cleverness of the situation. The baby had been thrown into the Nile, had it not? She disagreed with her father's murderous intent, and she resolved to save at least this one baby. So she would become the final heroine in our story, as she took decisive action to thwart evil. She declared to her attendants that she would raise this child as her own, and she named him Moses, meaning drawn out, because she drew him out of the Nile. Altogether, there are five heroic figures in our story this morning, Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter, and I am sure you have noticed that they are all women. On Mother's Day, one could easily make the point that the most important actors on the world stage are routinely women, especially when you take mothers into account. As William Ross Wallace famously put it way way long ago in an 1865 poem, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. But the role of women in this story is particularly striking because this story in Exodus is set in very patriarchal times. Women were considered in that society to be low in the social order. The fact that God chose to work powerfully through women in that context profoundly illustrates the Biblical principle that God typically works through those that the world considers to be marginal and small. Our story, however, is not yet finished. It was not Jochebed's intent to lose her child out of her household. There was one more key piece to the plan to be carried out by Miriam. Upon seeing that Pharaoh's daughter was cradling the baby, Miriam came forth and said, in all innocence, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby? Pharaoh's daughter agreed, and shortly thereafter, Miriam came back bringing Jochebed. Jochebed was given the infant and even received payment for taking care of him and raising him in her home. The story of Moses is a powerful illustration of the New Testament teaching, that in all things, God works for good for those who love God. Through difficult and convoluted events, God was at work in a marvelous fashion, guiding all the elements to fall into the right place. We can see how God was at work, not only to bring about a happy ending for Jacob and Miriam, but also to bring about a much larger purpose. Moses would now be raised by Jochebed as a Hebrew brought up in the faith of Israel. But he would also be raised, as he got older, in the household of Pharaoh, schooled in the ways of Egypt, with access to the rulers of Egypt. So Moses would be perfectly prepared for his future calling to be the one who would represent the people of Israel before the Pharaoh. Our story this morning is an ancient one, unfolding in the shadow of the pyramids, which were already more than a millennium old in the days of Moses. Yet as distant as the story is from our culture and time, it speaks directly and powerfully to our own lives. It tells us that God is at work in transformative ways through ordinary people, when those people revere God above all and have the courage and commitment to be about God's purposes. God is at work through young people, like Miriam. God is at work through people whose names never make the headlines, like Shifra and Pua. God is at work through mothers, like Jochebed, and through surrogate mothers, like Pharaoh's daughter. God is at work through people on the margins of society. Even the Pharaoh's daughter in the story was on the margins of Pharaoh's massive family, she probably only infrequently saw her father. Today, there is a whole genre of movies about superheroes. Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three, just came out. Or there are the Incredibles, or the Avengers. These superheroes have superpowers. But people in the Bible, like Shifra and Pua, were very weak in the world's terms, which is why we generally do not even use the term biblical hero because these people were not at all like the superheroes of today's fiction. People like Jochebed and Miriam were quite unimpressive on the world stage, but they found a real strength and they became a part of a redemptive story because they connected with a strength beyond themselves. They put their trust in God. As the stories in Exodus unfold, they put into sharp relief what trusting in God means. We see, first of all, that trusting in God means relying upon God to be at work in ways far beyond our own abilities. Jacobed needed a lot of things to work out right but she trusted in what God could do. Trust in God also means having patience. For Jacobed, it would take a long time to see the full unfolding of God's plan, but she had faith that God would be at work with wisdom and power. At the same time, trusting in God means aligning ourselves with God's purpose. The key characters in our story this morning were not simply looking to God to get themselves out of a jam. They were becoming a part of a purpose much larger than themselves. Shiphrah and Puah were acting not to save their own skin but to save the lives of others. And Jochebed and Miriam in their actions became a part of a purpose much larger than saving their own son and brother they became a part of God's purpose to rescue the whole people of Israel out of slavery. When we have faith, we are, bra- we are drawn beyond our own needs. We connect with how God is moving in the world. In this regard, we see that trusting in God involves offering ourselves as God's instruments. Shiphrah, Pua, Jochebed, and Miriam did not expect God to do it all, they themselves took decisive and risk-filled action. In faith, we are empowered and led by God to become agents of God's goodness. We also see in our story that trust in God involves trusting in how God will be at work through others. This is a dynamic that is often forgotten in our individualistic society, but which is very much emphasized in the Bible. People of faith, are not expected to be lone rangers, but always fulfill their calling in connection with others. Jochebed had to trust in her daughter Miriam, and the positive outcome of the story was also dependent upon Pharaoh's daughter, that she would be receptive to the promptings of the Spirit of God. When we have faith, we are drawn into a larger circle in our families, in our church, in our community, to connect with how God is working through many people together. Finally, trusting in God means being satisfied that the glory goes to God. Even if we think of the women in today's story as heroic, they are very much unsung heroes. One of them, Pharaoh's daughter, does not even get her name in the Bible. And although the others are named, most people today have never heard of them. They are well nigh invisible within the grand story of the Bible, but having faith means having and finding our fulfillment in joining in the work of God. Today we have a lot of unsung heroes in our church, people who are doing amazing things, and who at the same time are basically invisible to the community around and even to the congregation as a whole. We have Sunday school teachers at both hours, 9.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning, working on the Sunday school classes. We have youth counselors um, who are doing wonderful things, making an impact in the lives of young people, uh, but most of the congregation never see them. We have uh, people who are involved in multiple ways in our worship services who are entirely behind the scenes Consider, for example, the images that you see on the screens in worship. Images such as the sermon theme slides are custom created by Adam Alderson in our church office. And we have a large video team of volunteers who advance the slides of our three services or who run the live streaming or the volume at 9.30 and 10.30 services. We have teams of people who meet during the week to carefully count and record the offering or to assemble mailings, or to prepare meals in our church kitchen, or to do repairs and improvements around the church building, or to do the key administrative work of committees. The list goes on. People who follow the Lord in faith are very much like branches connected to a vine. Nobody much notices each particular branch. They just see the whole vine. But in being joined to the vine, all those branches, each one, as they work together, are bearing much fruit. Our world is technologically far beyond the world of Shephra and Pua and Jacobed and Miriam. But morally and spiritually, our world is very much the same. Our world is full of evils, challenges, pressures, and threats. The answer in such a world is not to hope to become a superhero. The answer is to trust in God. Like the women in Exodus, we can lift our lives to God in faith and commitment. And we can have confidence that God is moving today with wisdom and power, that God is at work for good. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks and praise for how your spirit has been at work through the ages, at work always for good, a work that comes to its wondrous culmination in Jesus Christ, through whom your saving love is poured out upon all the world. Lord, we thank you for how you continue to be at work today through your Holy Spirit, and we pray you would inspire us to have faith, to open our lives to how you would work through us how we can be a part of the great story of your redeeming love, how we can join in your purposes today. We thank you, Lord, for how you draw us into the life of your church so that we can connect with one another and together can bear much fruit. We do reach out to persons in times of particular need. We pray for those who are sick or dealing with surgeries and lift up especially this morning, Carl Schrickel and Carrie Shelley. We pray for those who are mourning and lift up, especially today, the family and friends of Cheryl Gardner, giving thanks for her service in this church in years past. We thank you for the larger church and lift up our fellow United Methodists at the Poe United Methodist Church. We pray you would inspire us all this morning, Lord, as we would join together to reach out into the world at large. Lord, we have a world today that continues to be full of injustice and prejudice, people fighting with one another people considering others to be not worthy of their own community. But Lord, you have continually been at work to break down barriers, to draw us together as your people, to lead us afresh, just as you led the people of Israel in the days of the Exodus to break out of bondage, to become truly the people you are calling all of us to be. Lead us, Lord, as we would respond to you today to share in this world as people who truly are bearing fruit for your kingdom. We do give thanks O Lord on this day and for your love that we experience in special ways in our families. We give thanks for mothers and we ask your blessing upon each family, that children and, and parents and grandparents might continue to grow in your grace, the knowledge of your wondrous love. And we do give thanks for this church family. Empower us Lord as we go through times of transition this summer as we are open to how you are leading us afresh in new ways. Guide us, O God, as we would respond today in faith as we look to you in trust and as we lift to you our praise. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, and Savior we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.